0: And welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast, your adventure into all things environmental-ish with your secret hippie host... Myself, Andrea Fox. Um, now we've been busy since last week's recycling episode, Failure, and we've had a brand new budget announced by the UK government, which, despite some sort of plastic taxes, the Green Party is not particularly happy with. Love to know your thoughts on that, so join me on Instagram, Age of Plastic Podcast. You can also send any questions, queries, comments, or guest suggestions through the website iamandreafox.co.uk. Also, personally, I have been busy moving house, so apologies if I've been a little quiet across all those channels... Moving house is incredibly stressful, I don't need to tell you that, but I've also seen a depressing amount of polystyrene-packed boxes. Boo and hiss. You'll be happy to know that this week on The Age of Plastic, I am joined by a guest, and we are talking films. Namely, the film that she made and the organisation that she set up around it. Jo Ruxton is a co-founder of Plastic Oceans UK, and she's also behind a film called A Plastic Ocean. Now, you may have seen it. It is on Netflix. I highly recommend it if you haven't. I actually wasn't aware of it until I met Joe at a really interesting panel that I went to recently. The panel talk was called Plastics in the Ocean panel and it was organised by Know the Origin. As always, I'll put all the links to all of these things in the show notes for the podcast a little bit later on. Now, there were loads of great people on the panel, and it really opened my eyes to some issues that I hadn't actually even considered at this point. And at the time that I went to the panel, I only had a vague idea that I wanted to do this podcast. And Joe Ruxton just spoke so passionately about the horror of single-use plastic and the effects of it and what she discovered whilst making the film that I just thought, I have to speak to her and ask if she'll be on the podcast. At that point, I hadn't even planned any episodes. I just thought, this is someone I definitely want to speak to. So on the podcast today, we talk about her process of making the film, her passion for getting the message out there about single-use plastic and the damage that she found it's causing our planet, and also who she thinks is the god and goddess of the ocean. Oh, yes. So I started off asking uh, Joe Ruxton about the film, and the idea was that she was going to go in search of something that you have probably heard about, a floating garbage patch in the North Pacific Ocean that's apparently three times the size of Texas. But actually she found something very different and totally shocking.
1: My film was um, based on the idea that there was this giant floating island and it's the, it's the biggest um, myth, I think, behind this whole thing because if it was a big floating island of plastic, you could actually do something about it mm. if you had enough willing people. But... We went out there um, from San Francisco and spent a month out on the waters in the center of the North Pacific Gyre and expecting to find it. You don't actually see anything. The water looks the most beautiful Pacific blue. And although you see occasional bits of things floating, um, you can tell they're from shipping because it's often things like crates and watertight lids and stuff like that. Mm. Um, But the true nature of the so-called Great Pacific Garbage Patch is tiny, tiny microplastics that have taken about 20 years to get from the shores to the center. And they would have been big pieces of plastic by then, uh, you know, when they left the shores, but when they get subjected to the salt, the sunlight, the wave action, the plastic becomes very brittle and it keeps breaking up into smaller and smaller pieces. Mm. So this is all mixed in with the plankton. So the plankton's feeding on it. It can't tell the difference. And the fish are obviously eating the plankton and the, you really notice it. We started doing surface plankton trawls about 400 miles west of San Francisco and continued to do them all the way in. And in the first trawls, you'd find small pieces of plastic, which actually horrified me that we were finding that, you know, in the ocean, in the ocean and water that looked so clear, but that was absolutely nothing. When you get to the center... It is, the nets are absolutely clogged with these little pieces of, of plastic mm. that you haven't been able to see from the surface. So it's a far more insidious problem than the idea of a floating island. And yes, you can say it's twice the size of Texas. I think they're calling it three times the size of Texas. Mm. But it starts at the shores, really. It just gets more intense in the beginning. So trying to put a size on it is, is I, I don't think, productive at all because it is everywhere. It's just more intense in the centers horrifyingly that's, so.
0: Yeah, and I, I do love that you you really try to only put out information there that you can definitely, definitely um, corroborate. I, I think there was a fact that there's going to be more plastic in the oceans than fish, and actually, yes. you pointed out that that's quite a difficult one to prove.
1: Well, absolutely, and the trouble is if you want to change policy, you need solid science to do it with. Mm. There may well be more plastic than fish in the oceans by 2020, um, but Without any kind of, you know, knowledge of how many fish there are, I mean, if you think about it, we don't know what's on the deep ocean floor. Every time a sub goes down, they see new species. Yeah. We did a program where we did a 2,000-mile um, a journey right across Micronesia, and we had some deep-diving scientists with us. And they were diving in the twilight zone, which is between 20, uh, sorry, 70 and 200 meters. And just in that five-week journey we had 26 new species of fish. And that is incredible. Wow. To find a new vertebrate at this time of year. Uh, so at this time of our lives, you know, um, you might find new insects and things, but actually finding vertebrates. And these were beautiful fish, you know, gorgeous, colourful creatures that nobody's ever seen before.
0: Mm. I mean, it's, it is, um, it's a shocking film, what you've made. It is also beautiful. Um, but I, I have to say, when did the kind of idea of the film first come to you. How did you decide to start on this process? Because
1: I was speaking to somebody in January two thousand and nine who told me that they were gonna take this expedition out to the Great Pacific garbage patch mm. and wanted it documenting. And and then I started researching into it and I found out more and more about it and realized that, you know, this this was a, a much bigger issue than just entanglement and, you know, the the eyesore of plastic in the oceans and that's that's when it started to grow. But then when I went out there as a filmmaker, it was very difficult because I'd planned all sorts of ways of filming this huge mass, and it was before everybody had drones. and I was imagining huge cranes going over it and having mics right down by the front of the ship, or we were breaking through it like some kind of icebreaker. Um, but of course, there was nothing like that, and I had to really think. You know, this story is much much worse. It would be really good on radio, but visually, looking at nets with microplastics in isn't terribly exciting. Um, <laughs> So I then started to think about, you know, charismatic animals to tell the story. And, and the whales are the obvious one. And uh, mm. I have a very good friend who's a cetacean biologist and asked her if she could point me at some blue whales. And she said, well, I have a project going in Sri Lanka right now. And it's, it's blue whales and pygmy blue whales. And that's how the first um, the first shoot materialized.
0: Yeah, I think the when you see such beautiful creatures as that, um, mm. killed by what's well, essentially just human wastefulness. But I think some of the most poignant moments for me were some of the seabirds in the film. Oh, yes.
1: yes, that was horrible to see, actually. I, I knew that seabirds were feeding their chicks plastic, but the, the sequence that we've got with the Shearwaters on Lord Howe Island, you see 10 dead seabirds lined up on the bench, and you see our seabird biologist, Dr. Um, Jennifer Lavers, she opens it up, and... The plastic in it is, is, I mean, it's mind-boggling. Every time I see it, it still makes me gasp, but to be there and watch it. And when we were filming, we thought we'd probably have to film, you know, quite a few dissections to get enough pictures to create the sequence. But we didn't have to go beyond that first one. However, Jen did then open the other birds, and all of them were the same. We could have picked any one of those birds and got just as strong a sequence.
0: And it's so sad as well, because of all the plastic that you see in that section of the film, taken out of the seabird, she says that's not even the most. So it's 276, I think, pieces of plastic she removed.
1: Yeah, that's right. That that was the record. No, that was horrible. And um, But also, the you know, seeing the people in places like Tuvalu, you know, were just burning mm. the plastic and the cancer rates were very high. And it was the listlessness, you know, it was... Uh, As the the lady said, she said, "You know, it's destroyed our paradise." And as her voice sort of breaks as she says that, because she's so close to tears, it gets me every time. Yeah, and and to be there and look at those kids and the way they're living, and you see, for me, that was a real poignant moment because you you look at how plastic is pervading our countryside now. You can't drive along the road, and I always look at the hedgerows, and you see so much plastic in there. And and because it's sort of a gradual buildup you sort of wonder, if we're not careful now, is our whole planet going to look like the island where those people are? Mm. Because that's the the sort of the exponential curve at the way we're producing plastic for single use. And this, this to me is the essence of the whole subject is that the problem that we have now is based on the notion that this product, plastic, can be used for single use. It was designed to, to defy nature. It was designed not to break down. Mm. It doesn't break down like other things do. It was designed to last forever. Despite that, we continue to make single-use items out of it and throw them away without thinking about where they go.
0: It's it is it's, it crazy when you when you put it like that, and it's so obvious. I think mm. one of the other thing takeaway things from your film is that there is no away. No. It's every piece of plastic that was made is still in existence somewhere,
1: unless unless it's been uh, incinerated. Exactly. Portion and incineration is obviously not the answer because of the chemicals that. uh come from
0: plastic. You've beaten me to my next question. Is that your opinion of uh, MRFs, as they're called?
1: Well, no, some of them, certainly the more modern ones, are very good in that they will, they will um, filter out these chemicals. But it's a massive waste of resources because plastic can be repurposed into so many things, including oil. Um, I just, what concerns me about them is that if people think it's okay, we're going to burn it all and make our energy out of it, Will we continue producing plastic at the rate we do? And the the other one uh, along the same lines of that is people think it's okay to keep buying water in plastic bottles as long as they recycle. Well, recycling is not the answer either because you can't keep recycling plastic like you can with aluminium. It loses quality every time it's recycled so that after about 10 rounds, maybe 20, you end up with this thick black plastic that's lost all its qualities. And what can you do with it? You might be able to make decking out of it or, you know, even roads, but there's potential problems there. Mm. But, you know, how much of the planet are we going to cover in black plastic? How much are we prepared to lose under black plastic? Yeah. It's, I, and and it's, it's frightening when you just think how much we're producing and still continue to do so for single use. It's madness.
0: And I I found one of the crazy facts uh, again from your film was that we've we've made more plastic in the past 10 years than the century before that. Mm. And I feel like we we've known about these issues long enough. Yes. It's, it's crazy that it's still being produced. And I think um I know. Recently, the Riverford Organic founder, uh, Guy yeah. Singh Watson, had a bit a rant about Britain's recycling policy. Now, I know you've kind of mentioned there that you don't think recycling is what's going to save us, but do where do you kind of see government's part in all of this?
1: I think government has a big role to play, but I don't think that legislation is the only answer. I don't think there's a, there's one single answer, but certainly if governments were to look at something like polystyrene for example you can use so many other things instead of polystyrene mm. we now know that serving hot food and hot drinks in polystyrene is the way to get most chemicals into whatever you're eating or drinking so actually using it for takeaway containers and coffee cups should be banned on health reasons alone mm. it's very very difficult to recycle of all the recycling centers i've been to and sadly i've been to quite a few <laughs> um I've only seen one that actually does anything uh, with polystyrene. So there's other things you can use for packaging. There's all sorts of new ideas now. And um, or even using recycled cardboard to make the molds for electronics and things.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I've just moved it into my new house and I've had a couple of pieces of furniture delivered and both of them are completely wedged in with polystyrene. And as Mm. I've been unpacking them. These little polystyrene balls are just going everywhere. And it gets into the ocean so easily.
0: Because they're so um, they're, light, aren't they?
1: They're very light. And, and you know, that, that's one of the things that's good about it. It's so lightweight and, and, and so on. But it, it's it's so bad for the environment. And out on the um, on the ocean, we when we were, you know, looking for the so-called garbage patch, we'd take turns on the bowsprit looking. And the one thing you could spot from a long way off is these little polystyrene beads because they reflect mm-hmm. the sunlight and they sit above the surface of the ocean. And it was quite calm when we were there. I mean, they were just everywhere. So um, I think that's one thing government could get rid of, and and also things like um, coffee stirrers. You know, how long does it take you to stir your coffee? And 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 that's you know then it's 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 in the environment for goodness knows how long. There's a fantastic um, campaign at the moment called Stir Crazy from um, an organisation called The Future Without Rubbish, and they've actually said, you know, if, if Shakespeare was to use a plastic coffee stirrer, we'd still have it around us now. So just think what we're doing. It's it's ridiculous, isn't it?
0: Like, when did we decide that making a whole new coffee cup or a whole new plastic fork was easier than just washing something up?
1: Absolutely. And the other one that gets me is something that I've definitely used in my lifetime, barbecues and things. It's delighters that you can't refill.
0: Yes, I, I, one of the seabirds, uh, when I met you at um, the no, your origin talk, you actually bought yes. some of the plastic that had been right. taking seabirds and I hadn't even thought about it before, but a disposable yes. lighter yes, doesn't go away. No, no it doesn't
1: and that jar of, of uh, albatross stomach contents that I take to events like that has three of those in, three that have been fed. And when you think each one's been swallowed twice by a seabird because the parent swallows it and then regurgitates it for the baby.
0: yeah, gosh, gosh, it's I hadn't even thought about it like that. Yeah, well, you could we potentially don't, kill we've
1: grown up with it.
0: yeah and I, I, I it is quite an uplifting film as well. We should mention mm. to people who haven't seen it. So there are some examples of biz, like good business practice. So what are the kind of things that you you wish businesses here and abroad would kind of take on board?
1: I, I think it's um, it's a, it's a personal thing within business. Um, the just the to, for people to get the notion that you can't throw plastic away, it changes you straight away. They will get rid of the plastic cups by the water machine. You know, everyone starts to bring their own one in. That's such an easy one to solve. Um, I've worked with with uh, organisations that are looking at the way. Uh, the products, are packaged that they're sending out. So using different types of, of wrappings instead of plastic, using different types of um, packaging instead of polystyrene. Carful, for example, who are massive in Europe, have started packing their electronics moulds using the egg box type recycled cardboard and taking the extra layers of cellophane off. You know, there's so much unnecessary packaging. There's lots of changes that can be done easily. But what we mustn't forget is that plastic itself is a brilliant material. It's um, it's probably saved nature many times. When you think how much furniture in classrooms and places like that are made from plastic, how many trees would we have cut down in this time? And how many people who wear glasses would have had those made out of turtle shell? You know, it it, it is a, it's an amazing product, but it was never designed for single use. So just getting that into people's minds, and also for businesses to take opportunities now to be the first ones to have alternatives available. Um, For example, I met somebody who was a catering manager of a company and every time the staff were having food in, they they had polystyrene plates. And when I went to give a talk, he'd made the effort to look up banana leaf ones, but there weren't enough. So he then ordered another three months worth of polystyrene ones. And when he met me, he said, I can't believe I've done that. And I said, well, there's a business opportunity for the people that already know where to get the banana leaf ones from. Because people are going to start demanding this. And if you've already got it, you will be the company that people look to and that's at the top of the list.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I remember you saying um, at the Know Your Origin talk that actually attitudes can change within a generation when you think about how few young people smoke now. In the future, we'll be horrified, hopefully, to see polystyrene or see single-use items of plastic.
1: Oh, we will. I I saw a brilliant cartoon the other day and it was two people sitting on a be- bench. It was a pregnant woman, heavily pregnant, with a cigarette. And next to her was a man drinking out of a, a plastic bottle. And she's frowning at him, saying, I can't believe you're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> And that brought it home to me. I think people are going to be sneaking plastic bottles around, because what is the point of them?
0: Yeah, it it's is like ridiculous.
1: Business. It, it was when um, drinks companies, when people started going off sugar, and uh, the, the market curve for these fizzy drinks plateaued, which is, of course never good for business. So some bright spark said, okay, well let's bottle water and uh, you know everyone's falling around laughing and they said, no, no, what we'll do is we will do it through fear. We will tell people that this is much safer water to drink than tap water and then we'll get some celebs running around with it in their jogging you know, <laughs> pants and what have you. And, and suddenly everybody thinks it's safer to drink water out of a plastic bottle. It couldn't be more opposite. And yet that was a trend that it was so easy to do.
0: It's just ridiculous, the kind of marketing decisions behind a lot of the single-use plastic in our lives. Yeah. I, I really do think that um, we can do so much, I think... Personally, yeah. but the onus really needs to hit businesses. And I think it would be amazing, like you say, to be the first business doing something in a more environmentally friendly way. Because I mm. think that is hap- that's how consumers will start thinking and kind Absolutely. of just just make that the go-to. That, it would be lovely if mm. eventually sort of the environmental, eco, compostable, properly compostable product, that's the norm. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And also refilling in, in supermarkets which you can do in in, in uh, sort of a lot of the organic ones you can take your own items and refill them yeah that's just you know it's, it's, it's easy weigh, weigh your weigh your container and then you weigh the content and that's that's what you pay for
0: so are those your kind of personal top tips do you think for for people <laughs> to make changes in their things. home
1: The easy ones are, for heaven's sake, get your own water bottle. (laughs) Um, Filter it. If you're going away, you can buy really good filters if you're traveling to places where you're worried about the tap water. Um, Obviously, the shopping bags one. For heaven's sake, stop using straws, unless there's a reason to use a straw. And if if there is, then there are lots of nice um, metal ones that you can get.
0: Um, I have a metal one at home, yeah. They they look great, and they come with little cleaning things. Yes.
1: Exactly. I mean, make good Christmas presents as well. <laughs> but then things like I, I use solid soap in, in, instead of you know buying the pumpy soap in a plastic bottle. Mm. Um, I, I don't buy butter in a, in a you know plastic container every time I buy butter. I buy it wrapped in paper and I have a butter dish. And um, obviously, using matches to light barbecues and uh, goodness me there's, I've, got, I've got 28 that I rattle off and now that I'm talking to you I can only think of six but,
0: uh, I think that's uh, pretty good are, there, are the other 28 on the website
1: they will be soon we're going to get some graphics done with them
0: amazing mm. and where can people go for more facts and information and great <laughs> tips like those six that you just remembered there Plasticoceans.uk Amazing. And I think you touched on this just a second ago, but I I like to remember that plastic is a good material and we do need it. We don't need it in single-use items. So I always like to ask people what their... My favourite plastic item that I own is my record collection. So what's your favourite plastic item? I'll just tell you something
1: about um, the first records that were made, actually. Uh, made were made from the shell of of the shellac beetle. Really? And vinyl saved the beetles.
0: So, now, um, that's pretty amazing because I knew the one about plastic being created to make billiard balls because yeah. they used to be made out of yeah. ivory, but that it one is. is a new one on me. Yeah. How big yes. were those beetles? <laughs> Was it just, just, just the seven big, inches?
1: No, actually, <laughs> there's, there's one for me to look up. <laughs> um, yeah, so my favourite plastic item, goodness me, probably, oh, it's got to be I don't know. I don't know. I certainly have a few. I'd have to um, have to have a good look around my house and see what I use. I'm looking around now. I can't see anything plastic. Well, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I can see a, um, I can see a shampoo bottle because I'm afraid the solid solid shampoo. I've yet to find one that. Make my hair look hideous,
0: but you have beautiful curly hair for everyone oh, listening, don't you? you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> there we go, that could be, your, that can be your, your favorite item. And um, also, um, I, I think you're going to be our environmental hero for this episode, obviously. Thank but you. who is your environmental hero? Oh, it has to be Sir David Attenborough. <laughs> and, I feel uh, like that's well,
1: two, actually Dr. Sylvia Earle as well. She's done so much for ocean conservation, so those two amazing, The golden goddess of the ocean <laughs>
0: life in general. Massive thanks to the amazing Jo Ruxton for giving her time to chat to me about PlasticOceans.uk and her amazing film, A Plastic Ocean, and of course her environmental heroes. um, Big fan of David Attenborough, who isn't? If you want to check out the film, head to Netflix or search online for A Plastic Ocean Film. Um, Basically, after recording, Jo shamed me into buying a reusable bottle, so I have now actually got one. I'm not reusing one from Pret that's about six months old. Um, £25 though, guys. Thanks very much, (laughs) Swell. You know, I rant about marketing as well and how black plastic trays aren't actually recyclable, but people think we like to eat off of them. Marketing for my (laughs) reusable water bottle, they call it champagne coloured. It's not, it's just shiny and metal and yellow. But as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's some good marketing. I am sold. Um, If you have any tips for us on trying to lead a plastic-free life, any environmental issues that you maybe want me to delve into, any guests that you'd like me to speak to, please do get in touch. This podcast is nothing without some conversation going on. And frankly, I've not had any criticism yet, and I'd quite like some you know you're doing something right then surely if you have got any suggestions tips tricks questions comments or conundrums you can find me online i am andreafox.co.uk and you can message me via the instagram for this podcast age of plastic podcast i would love to hear from you all of the links will be in the show notes wherever you get your podcasts Next time on the podcast, as we speed towards Christmas, we're going to be talking consumerism and what we bring into our homes with my friend and interior therapist, Elizabeth Dannon. You can check out more about her at elizabethdannon.co.uk.